got Mr. Vinny Masana, founder of Access Baseball. Access Baseball is a Long Island-based media company, which brings exclusive news, highlights, and feature stories to the high school and college scene. Vinny, how's it going, man? I am doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. How was the uh, how was the ride up to Syracuse? It was uh, it was uneventful, thank God. That that's a good thing. Not not much traffic, just uh, just the open road. I think once you get onto the the New York Thruway, it's uh, refreshing just to have all the open land. Little nice change of pace from being on the Long Island Expressway. And how long is that ride from Long Island? It was about um, six hours. We stopped in, in Watkins Glen to do the hike, and uh, then it was about another hour and a half from Watkins Glen. But in total, you know, we left at uh, 6 a.m. and just got here uh, 20 minutes ago. Where where are you traveling, like, when we're not in quarantine and all that stuff? Where where do your travels take you? Uh, for business, strictly Long Island. Um, you know, the crux of the business is really just covering – uh, high school and college baseball in Long Island. Uh, fortunately, I've gotten invited to cover some outside of um, outside the state events. Um, I I went to the Dominican Republic. That's a really great trip. I uh, did that a couple years ago. I went to Texas A and M. Uh, covered the Power Showcase in Miami, um, and I went to actually Anthony's team, uh, LIU Post, um, March of 2018 at Team USA in Cary, North Carolina. So gotten to uh experience baseball all over the place but really the crux of it is is strictly the island yeah and those are some good trips then do you mind explaining briefly a little bit about your personal background and then how this company started just a little brief on your personal experience mm-hmm. with baseball and then how you uh figured that you wanted to go into something like this yeah definitely i mean i had a pretty basic background just growing up wanting to be a professional baseball player living and breathing it um not really having too much interest outside of the game of baseball, I would say, maybe aside from football. Um, played played high school at, at Center Reach High School. Um, you know, had one really good career and one really good year in my career in high school, senior year, kind of parlayed that into uh, playing collegiately at Farmingdale State uh, my freshman, sophomore year. Um, you know, they were coming off the College World Series, so that was really one of my top choices uh, graduating high school in 2009, they had a miracle run uh, to Appleton, Wisconsin, making the College World Series. So I played there for two years, um, did okay. I went 9-5 and five as a starting pitcher through 70 innings in the two years, and then I wanted to transfer. So I went to Adelphi, uh, got there in the fall of 2011, pitched okay in the fall, and then I tore my rotator cuff and labrum and uh, didn't get to play in that 2012 season didn't didn't come back really didn't it didn't heal properly and I don't know maybe part of that was me not not uh, rehabbing properly but uh in any event that was the end of the baseball career abruptly and I really needed to figure out what I wanted to do and you know there was my interest in baseball and I always was a pretty good writer so uh you know that that was my transition into uh this career and now when it turns into career, when, when did you decide that you wanted to take this leap as a, as somewhat of a journalist? Hmm. Well, it's, it's a good question because it definitely was not on purpose. Um, I, I had taken some writing classes at Adelphi, like sports writing classes, um, which was really the only classes I ever enjoyed. It was one of the only things that I ever looked forward to, to doing. And I, uh, it definitely came natural. So my first 
job as a writer was an intern for the Bleacher Report, which everybody knows now. But in 2012, it really was um, not a respected website. It was they kind of hacked that SEO model of uh, quantity over quality. They had a bunch of college writers like myself basically just ask you, hey, what team do you like? You know, so I was Mets, Jets and Knicks. They said you're hired, and uh, you know that's how, right. how they. Sorry if I interrupt. How how they reach out to you? Um, I actually a kid I went to high school with. I saw that he posted his articles on Facebook, and I asked him how he got it, and he was like, "They have a, a they have like an internship program for college students." So I emailed them my resume, and uh, like a couple hours later, somebody emailed me back and and said, uh, "When do you want to start?" Basically, but again, it was it was cool at the time but really it was not um they were not credible at the time and then once they got their huge investment from turner that's when they took that next step to you know hiring big time full-time writers you know stealing guys from major publications but at the time it was right place at the right time for me because i was able to um have portfolio uh, a portfolio of articles and i had really I really sunk myself into it. So I, I loved it. But, you know, to say that it was a, a, a um, I guess it, it would be putting it lightly to say it was my a foot in the door. That was really all it was at the time. What did they, what did they have you doing as an intern? Um, so for when it came to the Mets, Jets and the Knicks, it was really like, um, you know, things that were going on at the time, like being a beat reporter. So I remember in that 2012 year, it was kind of, a funny time to be covering those teams because if you remember that was Lynn Sanity for the Knicks. So it was actually a pretty exciting time to be a Knicks fan. Wow, that and was exciting. For the, for the Jets, um, they had gotten Tim Tebow in April, I think, of that year, and I started in, in March. So that was right in the middle of that mania. So it was kind of exciting to write about uh write about the Jets during that time, even though they were awful. It was never a dull moment when it came to the franchise. And then the Mets, it was a little different. They didn't really have a great team, but that was the year R.A. Dickey, you know, won 20 games. So basically I was like the beat, their beat reporter for those teams. And then um, once I graduated, they did give me a featured columnist position, but it was still unpaid. It was just a little bit more responsibility where uh, if there was like a something big going on in the world of sports that I would write about it. So I remember that year um, – Felix Hernandez threw a perfect game for the Mariners. So I had did, did a, um, a write-up on that. Um, some of the things I actually forget about now, but basically whatever was going on at that time, like NBA playoffs, like even though that wasn't my forte, that was, was more tasked with like bigger uh, wide ranging topics as opposed to just narrow, narrow down to the Mets and Jets and Knicks. So it was pretty cool. And, and my friends definitely were, uh, jealous and they would share my articles and stuff but you know it was unpaid it was it was not a uh, respectable journalism I would say now where where did this vision of access baseball come into play so the first time that I had the idea for it I would say was um when Stony Brook made the college world series in uh, 2012 I was bartending at the time and I remember going into the uh I went in the other room where they had the TV and, and Stony Brook was playing LSU on ESPN. And it was, it was exciting to say the least. It was awesome. I remember, you know, Frankie Vanderka was pitching, who's Long Island kid, 
you know, against LSU, Alex Box Stadium, the whole nine, and everybody was just like captivated by it. You know, you're you got a, a team that ten miles away from where we were at the time at Lombardi's on the Bay, and uh, they're going head to head with this powerhouse. And uh, I just remember thinking, like, you know, nobody really nobody really gave them any attention, like not even the local paper or nothing. Like once they got there, yeah, once they got to the Super Regional, they got attention and they got love when they made it to the World Series. But it was just kind of like confusing to me that they didn't get any coverage. And um, I remember saying, oh, we should, there should be a, a website that's just dedicated to just like Long Island baseball. And that was really like the genesis of it. Because since I was still entering, um, I was – in between my junior and senior year of college. And then, um, you know, just kind of as a passion project, I just started a website. It was called baseball on the Island. Didn't even pay for the domain name. It was dot blogspot.com. There was nothing professional about it, but that was the Genesis of it because as time went on, I sunk more and more energy into it, but I needed to start somewhere. And as, as basically any business owner would say, you really have to uh, crawl before you walk and then walk before you run it was just like it needed to start somewhere and we really just started with college college coverage you know the 10 local teams back then we had Dowling on Long Island they've since gone out a business Briarcliff we had um, you know both we had the LIU post now they're just the one program but um, yeah that was really like the um, the genesis of it and then over, over the the course of the next couple of years I it obviously dawned on me that more money was to be made um, in in high school side of things, just more schools, more interest in the schools. And then even, you know, expanding on that, the younger ages. And now we, we even cover, you know, all the way down to 8U during the summer leagues. But at that time, that would have been way too daunting of a task to um, to cover every single, you know, every single age group. It was so much more um feasible to cover 10 colleges especially just by myself um but i knew that was not going to happen right away so so not to not to get stay caught up on this bleacher report internship but i'm kind of like fascinated with it what what uh what kind of assignments were you doing for these professional teams were you in the locker rooms were you on the field on the court oh, no i, I um, would they they did not have uh they did not have press credentials at that time um i would wow. say it was probably the next year that things changed. I think in 2013, they got their uh, big investment, which was huge. I mean, they got probably half a half a billion dollars. But um, at that time, it was such a, a small operation. I mean, I think it was brilliant, honestly, because if you think about it, at that time, and they used to say it in, in their emails from, uh, from the, the editors who were all paid paid writers they would say you know if it let's say we were covering the nfl draft that year which i remember that was uh the ill-fated rg3 trent trent richardson draft if if people were going to google those people's names you want to have it in like a certain format so it was like um you know andrew luck andrew luck 2012 nfl drafts you wanted to have that in in the title of the article put your colon and then whatever your your take was on it in there. You can't just put like why why this is the greatest pick for the Indianapolis Colts. It needed to have Andrew Luck's name in it, 2012 NFL draft, because that um, you know, you kind of hacking the, the Google algorithm, so to speak, so that if if people are gonna search it, you want your article to come up. And then when they got a 
you know, thousands and thousands of hits on these articles, they started to get raking the advertising dollars. So I think at that time, that was very smart to do it because that was the way to make money. And then they also kind of learned that people wanted slideshows as well. So the same way BuzzFeed did it in the entertainment and pop culture world, uh, Bleacher Report was all about slideshows. It would be like an article, 15 of the longest home runs you've ever seen hit. And you had to click 15 times to get to the article. And they counted that as 15 page views, which is ridiculous. But that's why a lot of those articles back then would get 45,000 views when really it was probably, you know, 3,000 or I don't know, whatever, 5,000. That's very interesting. So now uh, fast forward and on to, uh, to Access now. First off, just a side note, I really wish that you did this a little bit earlier when I was in high school, even <laughs> though I went, I, did in, I went to high school in North Carolina at some point, but I wish I did have some kind of platform in high school where we were like, a lot of high schoolers do want to have some bit of recognition and they yeah. like that, that competition aspect of like where they see ranking systems going on because you don't really get that when you're yeah. in high school and there was no structure to it. So I definitely yeah, commend I, you for I that. Get- I get that a lot, honestly. People saying, "I wish, I wish we had it," and I wish uh, somebody was doing it for me too, which I guess makes sense because I was the one that ended up doing it. But yeah, there's it just plays to a very primitive, I think, human being instinct of like wanting instant gratification. And you know, when when kids are playing, like they know that there's a very small chance of them getting drafted or making it to professional baseball. But the fact that you could get like recognized for your achievement is it just it's a common denominator with with all athletes you know i think if there's a competitor inside of you you want to be recognized for it and there's exceptions there's certain kids that have declined interview requests and that don't follow me on instagram or social media and don't read the article after the game but that's a very small percentage of people the vast majority of the kids they they are sending me videos because they want me to put it up even if i wasn't at the game the parents are sharing it off their facebook the kids are you know, linking my articles on their on their Instagram. So I think that's something that will never go out of style. And that's why the business model is sound, because every year there's going to be kids graduate. But every year there's another crop of crazed baseball fans that are that are coming in. So I think that's the reason why it was able to start with a shoestring budget and and continue to grow, because there's always going to be another uh, a faction of of uh, baseball fans that are out there that want this information. And, um, you know, like you mentioned with the rankings, I haven't gotten too much into that just because as I've, I think as I've grown, the rankings are kind of counterproductive, honestly, because the parents that see me at games, now they want to know why I didn't put their son on, on the list, you know? So I'm not trying to make enemies. Uh, so I, I try to have a different motto where I just, I'll, I'll definitely put a video up of your son or I'll write about the game, but by putting numbers on kids, it definitely, it's counterproductive for me. And also I don't want kids to have like a a negative self-worth, you know, if I don't want somebody to to question why he's, you know, the 15th best left-handed pitcher and not for like 14 (laughs) or something like that. Like, it's just, um, I think there needs to be less of that nowadays, you know, like seeking validation and especially tying your self-worth to a, athletic accomplishment you know um there's 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 websites out there i mean like you know perfect game has made millions of dollars by these ranking systems and having a million tournaments per year um i just i don't know i i think it's uh i would feel guilty if i if that was my business model honestly and plus you're seeing 
all these injuries in the game, it definitely doesn't help when kids are throwing 100% velocity in, um, you know, November and December. I think there needs to be less. No, less well, really well said. I can't stand perfect games business model in terms of like yeah. how they, how basically it's just basically pay to get this better ranking. And I really yeah. respect your mindset behind it. The fact that like, who are you to say what ranking this kid is, you know, these are just exactly. high school kids and that the whole platform gives them a sense of purpose. And that leads to my, my next question of how did you handle the criticism in the beginning of you showing up to these games? Cause I know as a, as a person who was skeptical, a little bit of it, just full transparency, I was a little skeptical in the first when you would show up at practice and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How, how did you handle some of that criticism that you're like, Oh, Vinny's here. How, how, how is that, you know, and with, with your mindset? I don't know. I guess you just need to have thick skin. I guess as a as a former player, maybe I that that um came over over time. You know, maybe if I was uh you know an intern writing for Access Baseball, I wouldn't have wanted anybody to say anything negatively. But I guess I just believed in it, and I knew that that it was going to become larger than it was. And especially you know when you were when you first got the post, you know that was probably. The um well, what year was that actually? What year was it? Sixteen? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I think it was sixteen. Around that was my my sophomore year of college. Yeah, so I was definitely smaller at that time. It was yeah. That's when things started taking off. Yeah. Um, I don't know how. It's a good question. I mean, it wasn't my only source of income, so I guess if that was like if that was it, and if I had kids and I had to deal, and if I had to go home and and deal with the disappointment of not making money, it would have been a tougher pill to swallow. But I mean, I was. 25 years old I was following my my passion project um I was single and uh I mean honestly at that time I had I had a a girlfriend uh, an ex-girlfriend and and I think she was kind of the the thing that spurred me on to pursue this because she didn't really believe in it and uh that really motivated me uh like there's my friends used to say I was fueled by heartbreak and uh I just felt like that gave me purpose so I guess that kind of answers the question is, you know, whatever the kids said about me behind the back, behind my back was going to, was going to pan a comparison to, um, to what she had said to me. So I just felt like there was, uh, I had a lot of people to prove wrong and I'm glad that I didn't give it up because, um, I think it would have been easier to give it up early on when there was, uh, when there was no traction. And then once I got picked up by the Padres to scout for them, it became a lot easier to explain to people, there's always going to be like, you know, older people at the games. Oh, who's this guy? You know, why is he, why is he here? He just writes for a website, but everybody knows major league baseball. Everybody knows the Padres. So if, if there was like an older person that didn't understand the concept of the internet and social media, I would say I wrote, I, I work for the Padres. If there's a 10 year old kid that doesn't care about getting drafted, I'll say I'm here for access baseball. So I, once, once I had that, it was kind of like a crutch to, to fall back on because I always felt like I had a purpose, a reason for being there. I wasn't just this uh, anonymous blogger. What is, it, what is it like working with going from being in the professional space, the professional world, being in that media space, being in the college space, and then high school, and then you're dropping down, not down, but in age group, you're dropping down to working with nine and 10-year-olds. What is that? What, what's the biggest dynamic shift and change I would imagine you're dealing with you, you go from just dealing with men to dealing with kids and their parents almost. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I have interns and, and uh, reporters that I they cover like the younger, younger ages. I But I have, you know, been to like the 12 view 
And it's almost like a completely different game. I mean, number one is you can't be critical of them at all. They're unpaid. Their kids are out there for the love of the game. Um, definitely have more interaction with their parents. And, you know, I, I would say that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, just kind of overcoming that that um, awkwardness of being like an adult at a uh, at a 12U game when it's not my kid there. So that's something that I probably dealt with originally. But I think at this point, a lot of the parents know – access baseball because they'll get the emails from the um the head of the league and and say oh we have a partnership with them or they're covering this so um that has gone away over over time i think i'm more comfortable in my own skin there um but as far as the actual game goes it's definitely it's night and day i mean the product is is a shell of what you would expect it to be i mean i love high level baseball for me there's nothing better than like when i went down to carry north carolina like watching post play uh tech or franklin pierce play um uh franklin pierce play stack like th- that is like borderline division one baseball like to me that's what i want to be doing so it does kind of it is kind of disappointing like going down a notch or several notches but i understand that that also means that the business has grown like if if it was 2016 there was nobody that was paying me to sit at, sit at these games so i guess mentally i know that it's a trade-off. It's a necessary trade-off. Like, do I want to be sitting through those games? No, but it also means that it's grown to the point now where people are willing to pay me for my time. Whereas when I was sitting at those games in, in North Carolina, nobody was paying me to be there. That was for the mm-hmm. love of the game. So it, I guess that was, um, it was necessary, but it is, it is strange. I'll, I'll be honest. It's not a, it's a far cry from, from major league baseball. When you when you talk about revenue and talk about being paid, how how does your business generate income? How, where are you guys getting your revenue from, and and how are you are you growing this and upscaling? Yeah, so I, I switched the model um, uh, in twenty seventeen. The year before that, when it was baseball on the island, what I had is I had a paywall on the site. Um, so what I would do is is you know I had a video camera. I would write I would write um, you know kind of like my my opinion on players, and I would put it behind a paywall. And then people would pay nine or ten dollars a month, whatever it was. Sometimes I would run run specials, but um, you know, I had a, I had a conversation with with somebody who used to work for Baseball Factory, and basically he said is like you're never going to be successful doing that. You know, with all due respect, like it's just not. There's just not enough of a pop. There's not enough volume of people willing to pay for that content that is ever going to be a comfortable living for you. You have to switch the model. Um, there's just not enough. Uh, there's just not enough traction that you'll gain. And he, and he was right. He was 100% right because I would say at its peak, I probably had about 50 people paying me $10 a month, and that's just not enough. Um, you know, I was bartending at that time. So I switched to strictly a um, advertising revenue at that point where I, I turned off the paywall. It became free. And then um, I just got anybody that was that needed the eyes of baseball players. So indoor facilities, um, you know, a baseball apparel, um, travel organizations, anybody that was trying to draw the eye of a 15 to 22 year old baseball player, you know, they kind of came to me and I think I developed a reputation for like being, being the guy that you would, you would talk to if you're launching a product or, you know, a strength and conditioning program. And that became my sole focus was finding who are those people and, and seeking them. And then I came up with, multiple packages, you know, all the way down to a one-time social media blast to a, you know, a multi-year 
all-encompassing package where you're going to advertise at my showcases, tournaments, and have your logo on the site for, for a year. And uh, that became the model. And it was, it, it, it's just, it made everything so much easier. It was a game changer because I could just get one deal a week. I looked at it. If I could get one deal a week, I'll be good. Like I'll be able to pay my bills. If I could get two deals a week, now I'm, I'm living large in my mind. Cause I was so used to living on, on a shoestring budget that if I can make, you know, over a thousand dollars in a week, like I'm good. Like, so that was, um, that, that was where the model, you know, the, the revenue model became. And then over the last year, as I mentioned, I, uh, incorporated showcases and tournaments and that's really where, where the money comes from because there's just, I mean, there's, there's so many baseball players on Long Island and they're all looking to play in college and there's travel teams and they need to play games. So if you could be that hub, if you could be the guy that can, you know, get, be known as helping you get to the next level, then you went to a whole nother stratosphere because now you're not just a blogger or, you know, a, a journalist reporter. Now, you know, you're kind of a conduit to making kids dreams come true and colleges appreciate that too, because especially this year, they have such a short period of time now, a small window to, uh, to get kids on campus that if somebody can help, um, you know, facilitate that, you know, you're a lifesaver to them. Now with no baseball being played, how has that impacted revenue and your strategy moving forward? I mean, it was not good at all. Me and every other travel organization showcase. I mean, we basically were on, you know, in limbo from March 11th till, till now. I mean, July 6th is going to be the first, the first game will return on Long Island. Uh, fortunately for me, since I have the advertising deals, um, we're dealing with contracts and, you know, that's kind of the risk that people take. If you sign a contract, they still owe you the money. So I was fortunate that I had hospitals, travel organizations, leagues, you know, they still had to pay. So it wasn't good, but I had a ton of um, photos and videos stored from previous years that luckily I did not delete. I actually was very close to deleting them last year to free up memory on my phone. I was like, I'll just, I'll just keep it. I think I backed it up on Google photos, which I was very fortunate to, because I would have had nothing to post. So basically from the last three months, all I've been doing is mirroring previous baseball seasons and acting like it's, you know, what's today, June 17th, put up a post of June 17th from 2019 and, you know, there's going to be some people that are like, oh, I saw that last year, but I've also gained followers. And there's people that are seeing that for the first time. So that's really how it's changed it. I'm really, really glad that um, Cuomo's allowing baseball July 6th because um, there's three leagues that are going to start on that day. And I, you know, I was in contact with them in the last week, each one of those guys, and I'm going to be covering all of them. So it, it was not good for anybody, but I mean, look, it was a pandemic. People lost lives. People lost family members. Businesses went out of business and industries were, you know, completely uh, suffocated. So I have to look, keep it in perspective and say, look, I'm, I have my health. I kept my head above water. So luckily we'll, um, we'll be back to normal. When you're, when you're covering these teams and these leagues, what specifically are you putting out what, what kind of content are you putting out are, are you are you doing articles you know i know i've heard that you're on social media i haven't seen your social media account and so can you kind of talk about that and talk about that digital side and, and how you guys are giving you know how you guys are making a footprint yeah. so to speak in the baseball world 
Yeah, so I would say at the most basic level, the game coverage is the the bread and butter. So if I'm going to go to a game, I want people to feel like they're there. So, you know, when, when I show up, you know, t- take a picture of the lineup cards, get a video of the starting pitcher, um, create a game, thre- create a, a Twitter thread and just give updates throughout the game. Try to get uh, video scoring videos if possible. I have a full-time photographer that comes and she'll airdrop me the photo so that we're able to get it out in, in real time. Um, as soon as the game's over, an interview with, with a player or coach, um, and I was able to get a, a sponsorship from a, an apparel company, so they gave, gave a hat to the player of the game. So we put up a video on, on Instagram and Twitter of the interview, and then I'll write a recap of the game. So really that's like the bread and butter. But then beyond that, that kind of lended itself to college commitments. Kids want kids want that instant gratification, like I mentioned. So just today I posted a kid that committed to John Jay, um, you know, somebody I never heard of, but he wanted it out there. And that is another, that's probably the second biggest thing that I do is the college commitments because the kids want to get that recognition. The schools want it out there that they're getting that they're getting these players because if it's a division one or a division two player, it, it's a good look for them. You know, if they, if you're able to say that you signed a, uh, you know, James Varela to uh, give a shout out to post, you know, it, it's a good look for them because that means that they're, they're doing a good job with their recruiting. So that's really the, the two biggest things. And then, um, you know, opinionated pieces, I'll try to put out there as well, but really the, um, you know, like I said, the crux of the business is what's going on during those games because people want to know standing stats. It helps with the recruiting side of things. If if there's a video of a pitcher throwing good, you know, maybe that helps them get a scholarship, which I've been able to do that as well, just from a simple video. It could be one pitch, but if a school likes what he looks like, a lot of times they'll wind up reaching out to, to that kid. And, um, you know, it, that's really value that I could bring is is helping uh, kids get exposure. Now, on the topic of opinionated pieces here, I got a little bone to pick with you because I like to relive my glory days, being that I don't play anymore. Uh, I felt like a little bit that you saw, obviously we have this, this rivalry with Tech and LIU mm-hmm. post, right? I felt like a little bit that season last year, you sided a little bit with Tech and thought Tech was the better team. I want to know your thoughts on that and why you formulated that that uh, that opinion. Hmm. Well, I would well, let's see. I'm trying to put myself back in that frame of mind. No, I w- I think that during the regular season it wasn't even close. I think you guys were um a, were a powerhouse, and especially during that stretch where you scored a hundred runs in five games, I think that uh, that was kind of that made up my mind. I thought you guys were the better team in the regular season and and in the ECC. And then when it got, came to the playoffs, I just feel like they had like that uh, that divine intervention. They 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 had like luck on their side. It seemed like so yeah, once they they beat, yeah. I mean, once they once they won in the regional, it if I mean you weren't there, so you could almost say that like they could do no wrong at that point. Like when you knock off Wilmington and Franklin Pierce, I'm like, all right, this is definitely there's like a paranormal activity going on right now. So it just seemed like it was a bigger, you know, a larger than life uh, story that was going on. And, you know, the fact that it was Catalanato's first year, it just seemed like all the pieces were in place for like this remarkable story. 
And as you see now, look, they got uh, articles on ESPN and Yahoo and, uh, you know, Baseball America. So it wasn't just me that was, I think, uh, that it was appealed to that whole story. And honestly, if, if Lashorn didn't get hurt in the Super Regional, I mean, you guys, or if he didn't get hurt in the Regional, you guys are probably looking at a three-game set against Tech in the Super Regional, which would have been content gold. That would have been, oh, that would have been perfect, man. <laughs> I know. It was, uh, I mean, it seemed like it at one point. When, when they won their first game against them, I was like, all right, Post won their first game, and they got this thought on the mound. And nobody, I didn't know he was hurt. I didn't know that until afterwards. So I was like, he's going to pitch. What were you guys thinking? I mean, you you guys had all the momentum. Oh, dude. So I've walked through this a couple times on the podcast and a million times with everyone. But so obviously we're going into it. They got to beat us twice. And we have arguably one of the best pitchers in the country on the mound. And I mean, not to discredit Snoo because they're a good team, but they they were not the greatest hitting team. And so Mm -hmm. we knew that Josh was was the guy and that we would at least put up a couple runs for him. And He's doing T-spine stretches on his knee and tears his ACL. Oh, my God. And so I see him hobbling, and no one else sees this. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So I run out there to the to the bullpen, and I just see him crying. And that obviously was the uh, was the verdict yeah. that, he, uh, that he tore his ACL. So then, then, I, uh, then we obviously regroup. We're like, okay, we could still obviously win this game. And we get to later in the game, and then I get ejected. <laughs> and that was crazy. I don't know if you remember that or even watch that happen or anything, but I'm that was think, huh? no, I mean, now that you mention it, that rings a bell, but I mean, I wasn't there. I think I was just following along and, and people had, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had gotten a text about it too. Why did you get ejected? The, it, it went kind of viral on Instagram. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send it to you privately, but uh, basically okay. we're tied one, one in the eighth. They hit back-to-back home runs. The second guy hits a no-doubt home run. Like, no-doubter, obviously. But he starts leaning back into me. And, I mean, you've watched me play enough where, you know, like, I'm competitive, but I, I play with respect and I play the right way. Mm-hmm. But he leans back and just starts watching his home run, admiring it. So I was like, dude, start, start fucking running. And I, I'd, like, give him a little love tap on his back. Umpire tosses me and... Next I don't, know. I don't know if it was a love tap, Tony. I don't know about that. Dude, he was running. I didn't actually actually push him. It was, uh, Vin, you could be the verdict when you, when you look at it on Instagram, <laughs> but I'll tell you this, Anthony, I, I'll give you uh this is no lie that, um, I was on, um, Chris Rojas's podcast. He has the one with Jimmy Gels, Chris Rojas and Brian Gels. And I said, um, hold on. What was their, their wording, but you were the answer. I think I said something like who was the, the one catcher that you guys, that you guys had to like game plan or, or change your game plan against. Cause they were, you know, pretty aggressive running team. And he said, I hate to give him credit cause he's our rival, but he didn't even mention you by name. He goes, he goes post post guy. He was, he was the best one that we saw last year. And I was like, <laughs> I, I would, I would agree. You know, I would agree with that. I mean, you definitely change the dynamic of, of the game back there. And also your, your ability just to, to call pitches too. that, that gave confidence to it's not easy to uh you know to have a freshman in the rotation and make him feel comfortable i'm sure that's that's probably a topic for a whole nother podcast just talking about the the mental side of of corralling a pitching staff but i mean i guess just a shortened version of it is it is it tough to handle 15 different personalities on a pitching staff yeah i i think our team did a great job of of flowing with that because they understood that 
I, I, I did know a little bit what I was doing back there. And there was a reasoning behind every pitch called mm-hmm. and everyone's different to deal with. But obviously that season we had three to five guys that were really just our, our go-to guys the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, when you got guys like James Varela, Noah Lorenzo and Josh, that are just anytime you call a pitch, they're executing, painting a corner. It's like, it's yeah. just like clockwork. It's almost like I'm playing MLB The Show on PS4. It's still, <laughs> it's so fun. You know, I appreciate yeah. those kind words as well, Vin. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. I want to throw you a, I want to throw you a hypo, hypothetical, Vinny. Mm-hmm. So you got this huge business that's going on. It's growing. It's in the right direction. If, if ESPN knocks on your door tomorrow, or you get a, you get a call from ESPN tomorrow. And they offer you, you know, a six-figure salary. I want they want you to come over. They've seen your work. What are you doing? No, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I would consider selling yeah. it. But I would not. I would definitely not give it up. And if I wasn't able to, it would have to be a very special circumstance. But no, I wouldn't just give up doing what I'm doing to to work for them because I don't think they can offer you know the offer what I'm what I'm doing because it, it's just so specific. Like I I love covering high local high school and college because like it's just I know I know the the region I know who the top players are I mean I like uh you know making my own hours there's just it's a different world once you go to work for a a huge conglomerate like that you're just one of you know one of thousands of employees you know unless you're a 30-year veteran and they're just giving you a blank check and they're gonna let you make your own schedule and take six weeks vacation I just don't think that they would be able to put together a a package that would even be appealing to me at this point. Like, I just, I don't think you could put a a value on like doing what you love to do. Like there's, it's just such a cliche, but like when you are living it, like, I don't know, I don't even want to do anything else. The only, the only thing that I really wanted to do when I was younger was like to be a beat reporter for the Mets. But I've, I've actually spoke with Adam Rubin, who, I mean, Anthony, I don't know if you, you remember him last year with, with um, Tech. Um, I mean, he was a big-time, well-known beat reporter for ESPN New York and randomly took a career path jump that you never see, decided to work at New York Tech, of all places. And I asked him, I was like, why did you give it up? He goes, because when it came to social media, like, it was never enough. You can never be away from your phone, like, especially with the Mets because they're such a dysfunctional franchise. It could be three o'clock in the morning and the Mets could fire their manager, which is exactly what they did in 2008. Or, you know, um, maybe David Wright has a press conference at 10 o'clock in the morning to announce his retirement. Like there's just no what you can never turn off. And he said it's just got to be way too much where, you know, God forbid you miss a scoop and it's to a rival publication or another journalist in your in your company. Like it's just never. uh can never turn off your phone and I would not want to want to live live that lifestyle and there's really no off season anymore because look I mean maybe if there's a strike it's one thing but like when there's free agency there's a draft I mean there's the world baseball classic now next year in March so there's just never a down period and where that's different for me like basically December November there's nothing there's nothing going on here so I really am able to decompress a little bit. Great answer. And I didn't take you for a sellout at all. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and I thought this was a great interview. Now, just to wrap it up, what's yep. the, 
the long-term vision? What is the the route that we're going to take here with Access Baseball? Are we going to expand into different uh, into states, or what? What's the the long-term vision of this whole thing? Yeah, I mean that's really like the, the million-dollar question. The two options to expand, and as you guys know in the business world, like what I do is not enough. Like you can't just cover baseball on Long Island. That's that's not enough of an exit strategy. Really, the two options are to expand geographically or into other sports. And I've already started covering other sports. I have, I have a girl Desiree that covers football for me. Um, I had a kid Nick cover lacrosse, but their season obviously got canceled. Um, and I had a couple uh, journalists cover basketball as well. So, in the short term, it's to cover other sports here. And in the long term, I would definitely like to get into other regions. Uh, geographic regions with baseball. Um, so I think in order for me to, you know, to sell the company and to make it be uh, appealing to a prospective buyer, th- there needs to be uh, a larger revenue. And the only way to do that probably would be to expand the territory that we cover. So it's just, it's a tall order. Like I mentioned, the jump to go from covering 10 colleges to 126 high schools is the same way I feel now of going from 126 high schools to a thousand high schools. So I don't know when that happens. I don't even know. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll meet some kid from another state that wants to do it. I've had somebody that asked me if he could do it in Virginia, which I uh, toyed with the idea, but I don't know. It just seemed like a a strange route to go for expansion from New York to Virginia. But um, the point being is that that was an option. So it definitely opens the door for maybe down the road, maybe go to New Jersey, maybe go to Pennsylvania. Um, but again, it would it would have to be the right situation because I don't want to do it and have it be half-assed. You know, I think I do a really good job here and it would have to be somebody that knows what the hell they're doing, know the game of baseball, have some connections with the college and the high school coaches. That way we could get information immediately, know who the top players are. So it would have to be a really good situation. But to answer the question, I think to, for me to exit and to, to be able to sell for seven figures, it would have to be proven that, that I have a brand that is in a, a larger area than, than Long Island. So Vinny, you're, you're an entrepreneur, right? Thank you. <laughs> I would, you would I, say that, correct? Yeah, I guess so. I, it seems like you just, you're a self-starter, man. You're, you're a forward-thinking guy. And, and this podcast itself, I mean, the Learn Lead podcast is the name of this podcast, as you know, mm-hmm. and as our listeners know. What do you want to leave our guests with? Um, life value, whatever it is. In less than 30 seconds, what do you, what do you got for us to leave us with and, and how you want to leave the footprint on this, on this podcast? Yeah, I mean, my advice is you, I think they got to start small with something. Like, I think that the people that, that bite off more than they can chew, I mean, when you look at like the biggest companies in the world, they all started with like a small idea and then eventually they got a little more traction, you know, dominate their marketplace and then, you know, let ambition take over because there's everybody wants to make more money. But you got to start very small with what you're really good at, narrow, narrow and deep. And then try to expand with afterwards. Like, that's what I did. You know, I really, really just cared about high school, baseball, college baseball in Long Island. And it turned it into a business. It wasn't the mentality right away. So I think you really have to find out what you're passionate about and what you're good at and try to make sure that there's a mesh there. It can't just be one or the other because then you really don't have a business. You know, if it's just something that you're you're good at, maybe there's not money to be made. If it's something that you... Um, 
you know, can make money at. It might not be something that you love. So for me, I was kind of lucky that there was a, a, natu- a natural natural mesh there. Um, you know, if you're thinking in terms of a diagram, you know, something that I really knew and something that there was a business potentially there. So I think that's really what my, you know, my um, advice would be to a young entrepreneur is, you know, figure out what you're really good at, what you love, and then try to be, you know, figure out where who your, your potential customers are. And that can always expand, you know, as, as time goes on. Well said, man. Thanks so much. It's been awesome to see you grow in such a short time and to, uh, you know, just to have you on and share everything that you have here. Really appreciate you having. How, how can our listeners follow you? Yeah, so the Access uh, Instagram is A-X-C-E-S-S underscore baseball and uh, the website accessbaseball.com. And we're on Twitter as well at, at Access Baseball. Those are really the two primary uh, platforms for me. As you guys know, TikTok is growing, which I'm probably going to have to get into that space as well. And I'm yeah, sure there's going to be some millionaires and billionaires that come out of that platform. It's just crazy how it never ends. I mean, there's going to probably be the next Thank you so much, and uh, we'll be on a great, great trip over in Syracuse, and uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Learn Lead Podcast, where you get to own your life. Stay tuned for our future guests coming soon. Make sure to like and subscribe.